I don't think the disciples still grasped the full gravity of what was happening because as they left that upper room, they were heading to the Mount of Olives and they stopped at the base of the Mount of Olives at the Garden of Gethsemane. Now the Garden of Gethsemane, there are many little gardens all around the foot of the Mount of Olives and we, we don't know who owned that particular garden patch, but this is a place Jesus has been before. But this is an area where Jesus is going there specific to pray. Because in the next hours that are about to happen, the sin debt for mankind is going to be paid by the Son of God. This is the most intense hour of history. And so as we pick up this story, he's taking his disciples with him. And here's a warning that he's going to give to them. And it's a warning we need to take heed to. And that is to beware of self-confidence. His now 11 disciples, because Judas Iscariot's already defected, so he's taking 11 disciples with him. And here we go. Verse 27, Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. There's so much packed into that verse right there, in, in, in those verses, I should say, because of the fact that Jesus has already told them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me tonight. Obviously, we see Peter's overconfidence that not me, no way, it's never going to be me, Lord. But truly, all of them did stumble that night. The enemy opposition, the power of darkness, is what's described in the book of Luke on this same account. The power of darkness is just permeating this moment. These disciples are going to be facing an incredible temptation. And when Jesus is going to be arrested and ultimately be led off to be crucified, they will smite the shepherd and the sheep will scatter because of Jesus. Their affiliation with Jesus, they weren't comfortable with that. So it sounds real bold and positive to be all about Jesus in this moment, but when it gets really hot here in a little bit, they're going to scatter. But something interesting is stated here. Jesus let them know, but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus is already affirming to them that the resurrection is going to take place. They don't remember this, from the, what we see in Scripture, they don't remember this in the hostile events of the hours. But later, this will come back to their memory. That, oh, you remember Jesus said this. And they will remember the resurrection later on. In the same account, in Luke chapter 22, the Lord said to Simon, being Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Peter, in his confidence, is ready, he says, to go all the way to the death if that's what it requires. But we all know that Peter is one who will deny the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus has also said something here that Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. That's a very interesting phrase that he asked for you because it's similar to what we see in the book of Job where Satan comes into the presence of God and, and, and God asks him, Satan, where have you been? And he said, oh, just walking to and fro among the earth and up and down in it. And it's, the Lord says, have you considered my servant Job? Oh yeah, I've considered him, but you know, you put this big hedge of protection all around him and so he has all of his wealth and his family and all that he has because you protect him the way you do. 
And he said, you take away that protection and he'll curse you to your face. And God allowed for Satan to completely wreck that guy. He loses his kids, he loses his wealth, he loses everything in a day's time. And, and yet it was Job that did not curse God. He said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it was Satan who came back a second time. And God asked him, where have you been? Oh, just walking to and fro among the earth. Have you considered my servant Job? Oh, yeah, but you know what? He, he only worships you because you preserve his health. You take away his health, he'll curse you to your face. And God said, you can touch his body, but you can't kill him. And so it, the of his feet, so the only comfort he would have would be to sit in a pile of ashes and scrape those boils and sores with a piece of broken pottery in the, in the ash to try to dry the boils. And even in that, he did not curse God, though his wife provoked him to do so. And so we see here again, we come into the New Testament, and now Satan is requesting, I'd like to sift Peter, the confident one, the bold one, the preacher boy that think, thinks he's got it all figured out. I'd like to sift him for a while and see how he comes out. And he's granted the opportunity to do so. Did he have to be inflicted with pain? Lose everything? No. Did, did it require for him to lose his health? No. What would it require for Peter? To forsake the Lord and to curse God, so to speak. Well, it didn't take much, really. It just took a little girl who would ask, Hey, I've seen you with, I've seen you with the Jesus guy. You're, you're one of his followers. And just in that moment alone, Peter walked away and denied the Lord. But it was Peter's overconfidence that we need to be aware of because Jesus told him right here, he said, I am prayed for you that your faith should not fail. I think all of us in this room can relate to Peter's, maybe his confidence, but also his prospect for failure. Because we've all come up short with best intentions we've ever had to serve God, be faithful, and yet sometimes we do things we can't believe we've done. We've said things I thought I'd never say. We do those things. And sometimes in our failure of that, our faith can be overthrown. Some of us in this room have experienced this, where we made a mistake in our life, where we felt so bad over our mistake that it was easier just to disconnect from the people of God and disconnect from the Word of God and just kind of walk away in shame for a long, maybe many years. But I'm going to tell you, the Lord prayed over Peter, knowing what was about to happen in his life, that his faith would not fail. And matter of fact, he told him, he said, when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Strengthen your brethren. And Peter will do that. When he is restored later after his failure, he will strengthen his brethren. We go back to the book of Mark in verse 30. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, speaking to Peter, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all chimed in. They all said the same thing. You know, it's Peter that learned a lesson all too well here. Because later when Peter writes the book of 1 Peter that we see in Scripture, he gives a fair warning. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 
Peter had to learn this one the hard way. That the devil in Peter's lack of sobriety, the Lord has already forewarned Peter. All will be made to stumble tonight because of me. The scripture foreseeing this moment even said that you will, they will smite the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And Peter somehow in his overconfidence thought he was greater than that and he could do better than that. But then he found out his mind, not being sober, was not prepared for the enemy at hand. To be vigilant. He will be warned, as all the disciples are, to be a watchman. Watch and pray. There's an enemy that the utter power of darkness is coming upon you here. And the temptation to walk away from the Lord, the temptation to sin against God is going to be very real. And he wasn't vigilant. And Satan moves like a roaring lion seeking to devour, which is what Jesus has said all along. And we've all experienced this in some way. Where Satan, who is a thief, he's, he is a thief. Jesus said he's a thief that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Jesus said, but I have come to give you life and life more abundant. Our life in the Lord Jesus Christ is not free from pain. It's not free from suffering. We live in a sin-cursed world. Things happen every day, whether it's sickness, disease, death, war, problems in families. All kinds of things happen all over the place because sin has entered into this world and the power of darkness is moving about in this world all the time. However, the bright side of this for, for a Christ follower is we know that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, God Himself came from heaven to earth, lived as a man without sin, gave His life as a ransom for us that we could have life in Him. That we can know with confidence that we live His life today. His power is in us and He walks with us. He protects, He comforts, He guides, He strengthens. We know that. He, makes, he is our advocate with the Father. He's praying for us and always making intercession for us. We know this. We, the Scripture declares it so. And yet there's still trouble all around. And we know that the devil is always on the move. Seeking whom he may devour. He wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy nations. He wants to destroy freedoms. He wants to take away everything that is good. Anything that God is moving in that is good for humanity. Satan will oppose it to steal the glory away from God. That's always the objective. So now we enter into this intensely dark moment where Jesus... The Son of God on this planet came on His mission and purpose, and that is to go to the cross. And Satan is now what... He already knows. The Scripture has already declared plainly what's going to happen with Jesus. What does Satan want to accomplish? If he can provoke Jesus to sin, we don't have a Savior. This whole salvation thing is canceled. So the power of darkness is going to come in as a flood here, intense upon the Savior. And this is now the prayer that we're going to observe. And we need to establish in our lives, like Jesus, a consistent place of prayer. In verse 32, Mark 14, it says this, Then they came to the place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. Well, this was a common place for Jesus to go. In fact, Judas Iscariot has, remember last week, he sold out for 30 pieces of silver. He's already offered to betray Jesus. 
Well, there's a lot of places they could go be hanging out in the city of Jerusalem. You've got all the places outside the city. How is it that Judas would have any clue where to go find these guys? Go where Jesus always goes. When he wants to be alone with the disciples, when he wants to be alone with the Father, where does he usually go? The Garden of Gethsemane. In John 18, verse 2, it says this, And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Jesus had a consistent place of prayer. Do you? A place where you meet the Lord on a daily basis, a regular basis. It may be in your car. It may be in your home. It may be in your office. It doesn't matter the geography. I love the story of Susanna Wesley, who's the mother of John and Charles Wesley, who's the, the, the founders of the Methodist church. Susanna Wesley, with a house full of, of kids and a hustle and bustle of what was happening there, her prayer place was her kitchen floor. She'd pull her apron up over her head, sit down on her floor, and that was her prayer place to meet with the Lord. So all this can go on in chaos all around her. Doesn't matter, because right here, right now, I'm meeting with Jesus. And I want to encourage you today that if you don't have a consistent place of prayer, establish one today. Establish a time you meet with Jesus every single day. To watch and pray. You have an enemy that's always on the move that is trying to steal, kill, and to destroy. Our vulnerability is that our faith might fail because of the fact we might turn back and choose to live for the things of this world and not for the things of God. We're weak. We're all, all men and women of flesh. That We're all vulnerable. I look at the people in Scripture who came up short, that knew God so intimately and knew Him well, and yet came up short. And I don't want to do that. But you know, often we do. And I know in my own personal walk with the Lord, when I get lazy in my prayer life, is when I'm vulnerable in every other area of my life. When I get independent and I get busy, the schedule gets too full. There's too many tasks of the day. So you just get up earlier and you just work longer and you just do more things. And so your time you spend alone with God gets squeezed out or gets reduced even more. Well, all of a sudden, I recognize, Lord, I've gotten off track here. It's my independent spirit that somehow I'm foolish enough to think that I can do all of these things without you and yet your word declares plainly that without me I can do nothing and so Lord I, I come to you confessing my independent spirit which is overconfidence that I can do it I don't need God I got too much to do today I don't need God to help me get all this done this is trivial stuff no it's all big stuff because then it gives footing here for the enemy of God to move in and steal away the glory because I wasn't prepared. See, what Jesus is giving these disciples a heads up for is, guys, you need to watch and pray. You need to be ready. This moment of darkness is about to come upon you and our readiness for difficult moments, how ready we are is dependent upon what happens usually in the quiet moments. I don't know about you, but whenever life gets really complicated, I'm brokenhearted, sorrows and things happen well of course we go to the lord as a christ father we're crushed we go to jesus the danger spots when things are calm there's no urgency we'll be all right i know what to do i just keep doing what i know to do 
that's the danger spot because I have not been investing in my soul well. Now I'm not ready for when the dark moments really come. And then I'm really vulnerable. Learning from Jesus to pray in times of agony. And this is the most intense prayer, I believe, in all of Scripture. In Mark 14, 33, he took Peter, James, and John, his three closest disciples, with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. This term, deeply distressed, it means to be amazed or astonished as if you're observing something new. Well, he is. Because Jesus has never known sin. He is the sinless Son of God. So though he is 100% man, he's also 100% God. But he lived 33 and a half years on this planet without sin. He's going to experience something new when it comes to pain and suffering. Though I don't believe that Jesus is all worried about the aspect of going to the cross and the, in terms of the pain that is about to come upon him, though we would look at that very much as human beings and say, that's terrible. To recognize the hurt of the, of the soulish hurt of being betrayed by those who are the closest to you. There's few things that seem to hurt my heart as much as that. But then he has the physical pain where now it's going to be beaten and to be scourged and have your body literally ripped to pieces and to have people pulling your beard out and to spit in your face and to mock you to no end and to leave you in a bloody mess and then you're going to carry a piece of wood all the way up a hill and then be nailed to it and then be hanging there until you eventually suffocate? That's the plan. Well, he sees and knows all of this because the scripture has said all of this is happening. So the prophecies made it clear this is how this is going to go down. And he already knows that. So is that what's causing the great distress? I believe what caused the greater distress in him was knowing that he, by taking upon the burden of sin of the world, will be forsaken by the Father. Jesus did not ever sin. Even in this darkest hour, he did not sin. The scripture says he took upon the world's sin upon himself. He borne it, meaning he carried it. And because of that, the wrath of God is now being placed upon him. The wrath that should be pointed in your direction and in mine, because I'm the sinful guy here. I'm the one who's done it. I said it, I thought it, I did it. All of those things. My list is long, so is yours, I'm sure. I'm the one who violated God. But it is Jesus, the Son of God, who took all of that, the sin of Duane, and the rest of the world upon Himself. And by knowing that the moment that happens, the Father cannot look upon sin. That relationship, that fellowship is going to be broken because of sin. And Jesus will hang on the cross, and we'll see this in the weeks to come. He'll hang on the cross and say, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it, that has to happen. In order for your sin debt and mine to be paid in full, that has to happen. And Jesus knows that, that the wrath of God, the intense hatred that God has for sin is going to be poured out on Him. This is foreseen. 
from Isaiah chapter 53, the incredible prophet that saw this so well in verse 4. He says, surely he has borne or carried our griefs and, and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That by Jesus taking the sin debt, my sin debt, upon himself. Now, when I place my faith in Jesus Christ, his death paying for my debt, his resurrection now granting me life eternal because he conquers death. When I put my faith and trust in him, now I am declared righteous by God. The same righteousness of Jesus Christ is now declared or placed upon me and God declares me righteous. Even though I still sin and make mistakes, He sees me through the lens of His Son. You love my Son. You trust my Son. I see you as my Son. And so then, those who are set free are truly free indeed because we've been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ the Lord. Jesus, in this great distress seeing what is coming, but he's also exceedingly sorrowful, meaning surrounded by sorrows. Isaiah 53 says he is the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. So deeply grieved, Luke records the humanity aspect of Jesus in this moment when an angel comes to minister to him because this is pressing him down to the point, as Jesus would say, I sorrow unto death. He's crushed and pressed down. And the enemy, the power of darkness, is just coming to provoke him to sin. The angel appeared, Luke twenty-two forty-three appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Why? Because being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like drop, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. There's a term for this that I wanted to understand, and it's called hemotidrosis. A hematidrosis, I don't know if some of you in the medical industry may have seen something like this, but what it means is you're under great pressure and duress. Your capillaries will actually fill with blood and gorge with blood to the place that they explode. It is not typically fatal, but it sure is ugly because blood would literally be coming out of his capillaries in his face, in his forehead, in his body, and be bleeding out of skin without any cuts yet. It's because his capillaries literally exploded under the pressure. And the angels came and ministered and strengthened him. We went a little farther in verse 35 and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. When he falls down on the ground, it literally is the prostate position that we can see. But when he calls out to the Father, he calls out with that personal relationship that only he would have to say, Abba, Father. Others wouldn't call him this. It's a personal term like calling him Daddy. And this Abba, Father, he's declared, all things are possible for you. We've all prayed this way, I'm certain. Whenever there's an emergent matter in our lives, we know, God, we've seen you heal the 
sick. We've seen you make the blind to see. The, you walked on water. There's nothing too hard for you. So I'm asking you, Lord, will you do this? Whatever the this is. We've all been there. We've all prayed those types of prayers, right? Jesus is too. All things are possible for you. And what is he asking? Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Don't ever confuse this to think, uh, well, Jesus in his, in his heart here is not desiring what needs to happen at the cross. No, no, no. Jesus is God. He knows exactly what's happening. But coming to ask his father, if there's any option, if there's any other way, but there isn't. And it's the total yield. This, the song we sang is so powerful, it's just hard to live. I surrender all. Man, those words are so intense. I don't always like that prayer very much. To say, Lord, not my will, but your will. But when I step back and recognize the rest of Scripture to know that I am confident, Romans 28 says this, being confident that all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are the called according to His purpose. My will in this matter, if I was going to write the story, God, this is how I would do it. And I know all things are possible for you. I don't understand, God, why you would allow this to happen and why, what are you doing here? Did you allow this man to be sifted like weed and he failed? Why are you allowing hurtful things to happen to young people? That's not right. And I plead with God and say, Oh God, if all things are possible for you to rescue from people from these circumstances. I watch the plight of what's happening in other, other places of the world, not just in our own country. And it's like, Lord, this has to stop. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And to be able to step back from that with confidence that, Lord, no, I know and am confident that you see things perfectly. Because if I was in this spot and my prayers were answered sometimes in Dwayne's will. I could assure you if I was in the spot where Jesus is at right now. I wouldn't want to be drinking the cup of wrath of almighty God. I would have walked it back. And mankind would then die in sin. But that's not what our Savior did. His meat was to do the will of Him who sent Him. The prayer in agony. Our prayer in agony, no matter what it is, to say, Lord, I know all things are possible for You, but not my will, but Yours be done. with the confident heart that, God, you are gracious, you are good, you are holy, and you see things on an eternal scope. I cannot see all of that. And I'm confident and I'm trusting that all these things are going to work together for good. I don't see how. I often say that. I, I walk down my driveway just stomping on. Lord, I don't see how this ever is going to work out for good. I don't get it. That doesn't make any sense to me. I've lived long enough now that sometimes those things that I never saw how it could ever work together for good, it's like, oh, huh, I do see now how the Lord redeemed in that and God took something 
that I thought was utter loss. And God took it and now multiplied it in ways that I could have never even comprehended. We need to learn to depend on God's grace, not our own strength. Verse 37, these disciples are going to struggle here. He came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Why is he picking on Simon? He's not the only one because Simon was the one who was the quickest to talk about it. I'm confident, Lord, I'll go with you to the death. Yeah, I, I just asked you to pray. Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. In fact, Jesus prayed for his disciples. In John 17, we get to see the glimpse of this. When he said this, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. This is Jesus' prayer. But that you should keep them from the evil one. Jesus knew the weakness and the frailty of the disciples. His followers who have been with him the whole time. They've seen eyewitness of his power and might. And yet when he tells them, guys, this is, this is the hour of darkness. We're here. Pray. Lest you be tempted. And they fell asleep. But he told them, he said, You're, the spirit's willing. Your flesh is weak. The spirit in them is, I want to do the right thing here. I have no plan. It's, it's Peter's and his, the spirit of Peter is, I'll go with you to the death. Yeah, until it's going to cost you something. And then you'll back off. Because you don't recognize the temptation of darkness. Again, in verse 39, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he had returned, he found them asleep again. For their eyes were heavy and they didn't know what to answer him. Now, if, you, if you'll run the clock back on this, I can see why they're tired. They've had the Passover feast. Matter of fact, it's Peter and John who were sent to go into town to get all the supplies ready. They would have gotten the room all set up. They would have observed the feast. They would have had all this together with Jesus. They leave there and head out to the Mount of Olives. And now they're at the Garden of Gethsemane. It's been a long day, long night, and we're just continuing on. And I can see why they're tired. But I think about, boy, in the moments of intenseness, how many of you, and don't raise your hand, but you've had those sleepless nights. When intense things are weighing on your heart and your mind and you just can't sleep. You're up pacing the floor. You're worried. You're in distress. And sometimes when we're stressed, we'll just go to bed. Things will look better tomorrow. In this hour, the most intense hour, the Savior's over here sweating drops of blood out of his forehead, knowing what's about to happen, has asked these guys to just stay right here, watch and pray, because he's coming for you too. And yet, they fell asleep. This confidence that we can have is not in ourselves, but in the grace of the Lord, and I want you to be confident in this. When you watch what happens with Jesus, how he is a watchman for your soul. This is such an incredible part of this text. In verse 41, he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? It's kind of like, really? After all of this and I've warned you? It's enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Jesus, because he's God, 
He already knows Judas Iscariot and an entire band of soldiers, which would be about 600 soldiers, are coming up close by. He's about to be arrested, and these guys are going to scatter. They're not ready. They were warned to be ready, but they're not ready. Overconfidence left them in a spot where they're not prepared. They don't understand the gravity of, of darkness. They didn't understand the gravity of Jesus paying the sin debt for the world. But this is something that I was really intrigued by this week, of knowing and seeing just the depth of Jesus' prayer, His sorrow, His distress, the anguish. But meanwhile, His concern for those disciples. That even in the midst of what He is about to go do, He never asked them to pray for Him. Hey guys, pray for me here. I'm getting ready to do the hard thing. No, He never asked them to do that. He just said, watch and pray. You're going to enter into temptation. But Jesus goes back to them three times. In the midst of the sorrows and anguish and all that's happening here, he goes back and checks on these guys three times. Concerned for their soul. Concerned for their faith. And I think as I observe this, we can't help but to see that our Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect high priest. And as a high priest who enters into the holy place, making intercession for us, we see this in the book of Hebrews chapter 4. In verse 14 it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, based on that fact, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who can sympathize, understands completely the weaknesses of our flesh and the frailty of who we are as human beings. He went through the same temptations the hour and power of darkness coming upon him. And yet, he did not ever sin. Instead, he took upon himself our sin. He bore our griefs, carried our sorrows, and went to the cross so that we might be set free through the Son. I think it's so incredible that we have this high priest who can sympathize with everything going on in our lives, no matter what the problem is. He understands. Whether it's human relationships and broken relationships, or it's uh, issues of physical, physical struggles, whether it's issues of economy, you name it, whatever. Jesus has been there and understands the complexities of this and sympathizes in it, and never sinned in it, but knows how to come alongside and minister the right measure of grace. Because watch what he did with the disciples in his darkest, darkest hour. He comes and ministers to these guys. That's amazing. And the scripture then says, we just read it. Therefore, based on this incredible high priest who understands so distinctly everything that is happening in our lives, let us come boldly to the throne of grace where we may obtain grace and find mercy and help in time of need. That's the place to go. 
Establishing that place of prayer, establishing that relationship in prayer that we always just come right back to the throne of grace where God provides the help. The core of this conversation today is really two parts. One is don't miss the work of our Savior. The intenseness of this moment with Jesus and Him choosing to take our sin upon Himself to pay for it in full. Knowing the full measure and weight of the wrath of Almighty God and choosing to take that for you and for me. The response of that is the love that God has for us willing to do that. We reciprocate that love in our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And giving our heart to Him and saying, Lord, I surrender all. You're my King. You're my Savior. And I love you. And I want to serve you and you alone. There's a lesson to be learned in prayer. Jesus knowing the dark hours, Jesus knowing how we are tempted, the power of darkness comes upon, and we don't always understand what's happening all the, in the spiritual realms around us, but there's a readiness, a consistency of meeting with Jesus and being watchful, having a watchful eye. There's a, an enemy. Be sober. Be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, he's seeking whom he may devour. It's putting away self-confidence for being confident in Jesus, the watchman for our soul.